Welcome back to the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. Got a hot topic for you today. For all of the talk about gut health these days, there are relatively few true experts on the subject. Joining me is Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro, who is an actual gut health specialist. Dr. Fundaro earned her PhD in human nutrition, studying a potential role of probiotics on skeletal muscle metabolism. Now that might not mean a lot to you, but what it means is she knows what she's talking about when it comes to the gut. So we cover all things about the gut microbiome. What is it? What effect can we have on it? Should we be trying to affect it? What about all of the products and services that are out there about healing your gut and having a healthier gut? Should you be taking advantage of those? I want you to tune in to listen and find out. Be sure to look for Dr. Fundaro. You can find her under the name Vitamin PhD on Instagram and on her website at vitaminphd.com. Okay, Dr. Gabrielle Fandaro is with me here today. We just had a little bit of audio trouble and we've been talking for quite a long time and I haven't been recording it. So we're going to go again here. Welcome <laughs> again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you for your patience with this. So look, everybody listening, we've been having a fantastic conversation and we're going to do um, a little bit more rapid fire here. Uh, Dr. Fandar, can you tell us why you started studying the gut? Give us a, a, a quick story about how that happened. Yeah. So back when I was um, starting out with my PhD, I actually was studying uh, the effects of high fat feeding on skeletal muscle and looking at how it might affect skeletal muscle wasting. That was my primary project. My side project was looking at a potential uh, role of probiotics uh, in protecting against some of the uh, problems we see in skeletal muscle metabolism following a uh, standard American diet. So the uh, samples from my first project uh, were rendered unusable through some, some mistakes along the way. And so I ended up working on that side project. And the reason I was so uh, curious about the pot potential for uh, probiotic supplementation uh, in helping with um, some of the effects of the standard American diet was that what we were doing in that lab was to um, challenge skeletal muscle with injections of something called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. So we would inject our rodent models with this LPS and uh, determine how that affected the metabolic flexibility of skeletal muscle. In other words, we wanted to see whether that skeletal muscle could switch between using uh, sugars versus fats for energy. And I was curious as to why we were using that LPS. Well, the LPS was modeling what we were seeing in humans. So in humans with obesity or those who are fed a high-fat meal or a chronic high-fat diet, they actually have elevated levels of this LPS and also elevated levels of the receptor to which it binds. And when it binds that receptor, it causes a low-grade inflammation, which is what's been sort of characterized as causing some of this metabolic inflexibility. So I was like, well, where is this LPS coming from? Why are we doing this? Well, it's coming from certain bacteria in the gut. And back then there was a theory emerging that there was actually an obesogenic uh, microbiome or an obesogenic group of bacteria in the gut that were sort of perhaps playing a causative role in obesity. 
Now, we know that that's not the case thus far. We haven't established a causative link between the gut microbiome and obesity. And some of the theories now have really largely been uh, debunked, or we have more context and nuance now. But that's how I got into it. And then fast forward, you know, four years later, now it's a popular thing that people like to talk about. But um, when I finished my, my doctorate, uh, it wasn't really a thing that anyone was, uh, you know, really familiar with or talking about too much. So it's been pretty serendipitous that I ended up in that uh, field. And then, you know, some six years later, I can talk about it. So it seems like mostly there's a couple of things I hear people talking about with regards to the gut. It seems like the big topics are how do I have a healthy gut or heal my gut mm -hmm. and also talking about the gut and weight management. And that's kind of where I, those two are kind of what I would like to talk to you about today. Um, could you tell us very briefly, what is the gut microbiome? Yeah. So the gut microbiome refers to all of the microorganisms that includes bacteria, fungi, archaea and viruses and their genetic material. So all of the basically blueprints for all of the functions of the gut. So the microbiome refers to the microorganisms and all of their genetic material. And do we have much control or influence over our microbiome and should we be trying to influence it for our health and or weight? When we look at longitudinal studies, that means when we look at the data over a long period of time and we follow people up to, you know, five years uh, living their normal lives, we find that about 60 to 80 percent of the microbes remain unchanged, even if they have a dietary change, lifestyle change, or, you know, have to do something like take antibiotics. So about one third of the microbes appear to be human specific. So that means all humans will have these in common. We've co-evolved with them. And then about two thirds of the gut seems to be more individual. So we have a high level of inter-individual variability. So that personal uh, aspect of the microbiome is based on our age, our gender, our location, our genetics, um, our ethnicity, and to a much smaller extent, our lifestyle habits. So our physical activity, and our dietary habits. So maybe, um, according to some of the limited regression analyses we have thus far, our physical activity habits might explain up to about 20% uh, of the microbes that we see present, and maybe our diet, another 15 to 20% of the microbes present of that two-thirds that's individual. Um, that being said, there are still microbes that we, for for uh, whom we don't have the gene sequenced yet. So we're not able to actually identify everyone that's there. And what's really missing is looking at the functional capacity of the gut. So what are they actually doing? And we really don't know much about how our lifestyle habits affect what the microbes are actually doing. Mm. And what would you say is a definition of a healthy gut? So um, if a person's like, I need, I want, <laughs> I want to heal my gut. I want my yeah. gut to be healthier. What, what? Most of us don't even know what that means. What does that mean, if anything? Um, yeah, we don't even know what it means in science yet. <laughs> so um, we don't have a specific profile for a healthy or an unhealthy gut. Uh, what we find is that individuals who are healthy controls are actually significantly different by country, which is really interesting. But what we also find is that even though the members of the community might be different, their functions are actually pretty similar. So it looks like 
uh, across, you know, in, in looking at different countries, it's sort of like looking at uh, different stores. So if we have like a Target store in Kansas versus a Target store in Michigan, it's how it's, it's uh, you know, it's um, employees are going to be very different, but they're all going to be trained to do pretty much the same thing so your employees are still going to know how to do cashier things or put clothing away and whatnot so it's the same thing with the gut that we have something called functional convergence so different microbes are able to do the same thing now when we look at individuals who are lean versus those who are obese we do find some characteristic differences there and one of the biggest ones is a loss of functional diversity in individuals with obesity we also find some other interesting characteristics like individuals from more rural uh, areas and individuals with a lot of plants in their diet tend to have greater levels of microbial diversity, so uh, more diversity in who's there versus individuals who have less uh, fiber in their diets or who are living in more industrialized areas. So there is sort of a theory that perhaps we can't really identify who has a healthy versus unhealthy gut because a lot of our healthy controls may already have what's considered to be um, dysbiosis. And so that's a word that people use to sort of refer to an unhealthy gut. It means an unfavorable relative abundance of species. But dysbiosis is really general. It's sort of like saying bad weather. So bad weather could be tornadoes or it could be rain or it could be snow. And so what we really need is a lot of context there to look at, you know, why are we saying that this, this individual has dysbiosis how are we characterizing the microbes there? How do we know that those microbes are always good guys or always bad guys? Because it's quite often not so black and white. And as far as then wanting to have a healthy gut, there's a lot of talk out there. Um, so I went on Google and just typed in gut health just to see what would appear. <laughs> And um, the things that I thought would appear, look, I, I don't know much about gut health. I just hear it talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and the things that I hear talked about a lot are stuff that people are selling. Mm -hmm. So when you type in healthy gut or gut health, the first thing that comes up is a whole bunch of advertisements about things you can buy yep. to help with your gut. Is there anything that you recommend people buy to help their gut? Um, vegetables and fruits and whole grains and legumes and some attire with which they can perform physical activity. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I saw for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's a lot of, um, oh, you know, gut, gut healing protocols and cleanses. I, I think probably some of the biggest, um, uh, marketing tools or, or the, the, you know, the things that people are selling the most would be things like um, resets, detoxes, and cleanses as if they can, you know, just eradicate the quote unquote bad bugs or do a candida cleanse um, and, and starve out the bad bacteria. Well, for one thing, candida is an important member of the microbial community. It is actually something that we need to have in there. We wouldn't want to remove all of the candida. For another thing, we don't know who all is there in every person's gut. And for another, another thing, we can't selectively uh, remove specific taxa of bacteria with dietary intervention. So when people are like, oh, just remove simple carbohydrates, 
Well, guess what? The microbes really aren't going to be using those simple carbohydrates anyway because they're going to be uh, digestible and absorbable by you as the host. If you really want to starve out your bacteria, just don't eat any fiber for, I don't know, days, weeks, months, years. Um, that's probably the best way to reduce your microbial diversity. No, yeah. I know, probably, there are probably people eating carnivore right now that are like, but I feel so much better doing this. Um, and to that, I say, here's what happens with elimination diets, which are also really popular and which are being sold a lot, like with those IgG food sensitivity tests. Um, when you remove food that is fermentable, so when you're removing microbe-accessible carbohydrates, you're removing the energy source for those microbes, so they're not going to be fermenting them and producing gas. So you won't feel as bloated, your bowel movements might change. But our outward symptoms that we might be uncomfortable with, like gas and bloating, those are not, not indicative of poor gut health. They're just indicative of living organisms metabolizing nutrients in your colon, and that is a normal thing. Not to say that it can't be unpleasant or that if you have unpleasant symptoms, you shouldn't go to the doctor. You absolutely should. But this is part of the problem is that people are selling the idea of poor gut health and the idea of being you know, damaged in some way and needing one of these products. And so detoxes and cleanses, refreshes, resets, you say no for gut health. Oh, absolutely not. And we can't reset the gut. And it would be really problematic to completely reset everything. If we were to remove all of the microbes, uh, we would not be able to assimilate nutrients very well or fight off pathogens. And in fact, in mice who have uh, a, a, the equivalent of a gut reset that are reared without any gut bacteria, they really fail to thrive and they cannot fight off pathogens. So we wouldn't want that to happen to us anyway. We need to have uh, the, the whole spectrum in there, we need to have our beneficial, neutral, and even pathogenic microbes because they're all interacting with our cells, including our immune cells and our immune system, um, and they help it to actually mature and respond to pathogens. Interesting. So what about um, the at-home food sensitivity tests that you mentioned? What can you tell us about those if a person is looking um, to have a healthy gut, they're looking for weight loss, do home food sensitivity tests add any benefit? Um, no. The only, <laughs> if they may help with weight loss in that they will give you a list of foods that you might avoid and then uh, coincidentally reduce your, your energy intake, leading to a deficit. But the problem, and it's a huge problem with food sensitivity tests, um, for one thing, a food sensitivity doesn't exist. This is not to invalidate individuals who have unpleasant symptoms when they eat a food. You may have a food allergy, which is immune-mediated, or you may have a food intolerance, which is enzyme-mediated. But a food sensitivity is something that is completely made up. Uh, I don't know who developed this quote-unquote test, but the IgG antibody is a recognition antibody. So this will literally give you a list of foods that you have eaten at some point in your life that no other information aside from that. It is not a diagnostic test. It's not even a screening test. So what happens when a person receives this food list is they then remove those foods from the diet. Now they could coincidentally remove a food that wasn't digesting comfortably. And so they'll feel better. Or as I mentioned, they might, re they might reduce their energy intake. And so they might lose weight. And so influencers 
and marketers really capitalize on that because it's a test that um, inspires a lot of like feelings of validation and those feelings of validation are important but we have to do a really good job of educating as well and so they'll use these to you know validate individuals experiences and then sell whatever products they have on the back end of that like supplements and things like that for the gut reset and then never take uh, the opportunity to provide any sort of education around, well, I mean, there's there's really no no education around that test. It's just an invalid test. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it is just absolutely a ploy and it takes advantage of people. And, um, I, and it really does seem to cause a lot of anxiety and fear around food. I mean, that's one way to cause um, orthorexia is to give a person a list of foods and say, all of these foods are causing, you know, could be causing your digestive symptoms and then not, you know, help them go through, you know, perhaps like an actual evidence-based elimination um, testing and reintroduction process. So they can actually determine which of those foods might be causing issues. And that kind of um, procedure should take place under supervision of, I'm assuming, a doctor or nutritionist, dietitian. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because they do exist. Um, but you know, it has to be done systematically. The one that I use with clients where appropriate is the the, the FODMAP, um, some iteration of low FODMAP, um, when indicated, you know, by their dietary history and their symptoms and things like that. Um, but you know, just to say, oh, you know, go, you know, like carnivore is an elimination diet, but people don't follow it up with anything. They just eat carnivore and we don't have any information about the clinical outcomes of the carnivore diet. So I think it's really dangerous for people to just be recommending these things without knowing, you know, the downstream effects. And so for a person who is not experiencing any kind of digestive symptoms and they are looking to optimize their gut health, just specifically for health or for weight loss, what can they do? Or is it something that they should even be trying to do? Well, we really don't have, um, you know, evidence to show that there is a causative link between the microbiome and weight gain or prevention of weight loss. So the nice thing is, if a person is interested in um, losing weight, uh, some of the things that could also be potentially beneficial to the microbiome would also contribute to a weight loss journey. The physical activity eating plenty of vegetables and fruits and whole grains and legumes because they are uh, high volume, they're high in fiber, um, they're satiating, and they're also very nutrient dense. So, you know, if we are in an energy deficit, we want to make sure that the calories that we're getting in are mostly um, going to be very nutrient dense. So we're getting all the vitamins and minerals that we need. So those may not have you know, that may not have a, a huge impact on the microbiome, or it may have a significant impact on the microbiome. We even know that weight loss, weight changes can have an effect on the microbiome. But I think that, you know, there, it's, it's kind of like those are things that are great for us to do for health outcomes, regardless of how they might affect the microbiome. And that if we are uh, on a journey of weight loss, that we need to create an energy deficit in some way. And usually it's easier to do that if we're getting some form of physical activity that we enjoy and then we're reducing our nutrient intake, but not having to deal with extreme hunger because we're choosing foods that are high volume and high in fiber um, and more satiating. Got it. Um, so 
one of the questions I got a lot, I pulled my audience about what they might want me to ask you. And yeah. there were quite a few questions about probiotics and prebiotics, mm -hmm. um, their role as far as gut health um, and what exactly are they? People are interested, should I be buying these? And what, what's the deal with that? Yeah, so um, a probiotic is a microorganism that we would ingest to confer some benefit to us. Um, most of the time it's gonna be a bacteria. There are some uh, yeast strains that are also considered to be probiotic. They don't necessarily have to be living. Uh, we now have evidence that you know, even if they're non-viable bacteria, they can have some impact on the gut. And there are uh, specific but limited applications to probiotic supplementation. So the effects of, of probiotics are strain specific. So that's like saying um, the, you know, the type of pet that you want, you would want a dog rather than a dingo. That's, <laughs> so dogs and dingoes, same species, different subspecies. So it's the same thing with probiotics. So there's not a kitchen sink probiotic that everyone should be taking every day. And we actually don't have a probiotic for uh, weight management or weight loss. The, the current applications of probiotics are for uh, diarrhea um, and inflammatory bowel disease and uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and to some extent, perhaps uh, uh, upper respiratory tract infections. And this isn't to say that probiotics will treat any of those or cure them, um, but they can, in some cases, have a, a slight preventative mechanism or just kind of reduce the severity. But uh, again, it's going to be strain specific. So, for example, S. boulardi will be uh, pretty effective for diarrhea, but doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be super effective for um, an inflammatory bowel disease. So probiotics um, can be effective in some cases, but it's not something that I would say, you know, go out and get this supplement and take it every day. Uh, you'd be much better off spending your $50 on prebiotics. And that's not a supplement either. <laughs> prebiotics are found in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, um, and even in dairy because some of those bacteria like uh, lactose as well. So prebiotics are fermentable fibers and resistant starches that are actually found naturally in foods. So instead of going to take that probiotic supplement, I would recommend taking that money and going and buying fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes um, and including those in every meal because then you're going to have an abundance of microbe accessible carbohydrates. So those are the fibers and resistant starches that are not uh, digestible by you so they're preserved through the length of the intestine. They get to the colon where the bacteria can use them as energy. So prebiotics don't need to buy them unless you're having unless you're having some kind of is diarrhea. Is that or that pro, that was probiotics? Probiotics. Yep. Probiotics. Yep. Mm -hmm. Prebiotics we need to be getting from our diet. Yep. That sounds easy enough. You know, yeah. it's, well, I guess, I guess it sounds simple enough. I guess it's not always easy for people to make the choices to have that type of diet um, mm -hmm. that's going to have those things. Um, so, as far as claims about healing your gut, when you mm. hear that phrase, what are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Well, my first thought is the gut is an entire organ system. So it is made up of cells coming together to form tissues, coming together to form organs, coming together to form the organ system of the gastrointestinal tract. And then that's filled with these trillions of microbes. And then there are supporting immune cells. And I'm like, what part are you going to heal? And how do you know that anything is even wrong? Like, why do we have to sell the idea that the gut needs to be healed? 
But I think it really gets to where people feel frustrated at the the, the difficulty of weight loss, you know, it is, it's like you said, it is simple. You know, we know we need to create an energy deficit, but it's not easy. And especially if we are feeling really restricted and feeling like we're putting in a lot of effort and we're not seeing results, then it's sort of like, okay, oh, someone has pointed out that my gut is the problem. Okay, well, you know, then that makes sense. Um, I just need to do this gut reset or I'm not going to be able to lose weight or make progress until I reset or heal my gut or I feel tired because of my gut or, you know, whatever. Like now we can blame everything on the gut because not a lot of people really know much about it. Mm -hmm. um, but we know enough to know that it's connected to, you know, every facet almost of, of human physiology. So um, it's sort of become this scapegoat. And so to that, I say, you know, we, since we don't have a profile of a healthy gut or a specific profile of a, an unhealthy gut, we don't have a specific profile for dysbiosis. And uh, in many cases, these people have not undergone any diagnostic tests to determine the presence of a disease. Then this is really just sort of one of those made up um, marketing tools just like the IgG food sensitivity test, you know, mm. gut healing or gut reset. Um, we just don't, you know, we haven't established a causative link between the gut and anything else. So um, yeah, it's just sort of become a scapegoat, unfortunately. And I, I think it really removes the, the actual power from clients, you know, because we're kind of shifting their focus from the things that will really make a difference to something that will just really make us money. And it sounds like we know far less about the gut than we actually know about the gut. It sounds like there's more <laughs> questions than there are answers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if people want to read a really good article, look up um, Patrice Connie, last name C-A-N-I. He just put out, um, it, I want to say it's called um, Potential, it, it's like Potential Threats and Unanswered Questions and Promises, something to that extent. But um, he states that we don't have, and he's one of the the like founding researchers of the gut microbiome. Um, really, one of the best. Uh, you know, if you want to, lots and lots of open access um, research to look into some of the more, more foundational um, studies done in human gut microbiome. Um, I believe that that group actually coined the term metabolic endotoxemia, which refers to that um, low level uh, circulating LPS. So. Um, yeah, when we have, you know, leading researchers like that saying we're coming up with erroneous conclusions and correlations because of the, you know, just how, how statistics work and, uh, you know, we're coming up with these correlations, but we don't have causation, I think everyone really needs to take a step back and just be more cautious and prudent about the claims that, that they're making. Because what, what can really happen, unfortunately, is that we dilute our message we dilute the integrity of the data and then it's sort of like the boy who cries wolf you know after a while maybe we find something that is really effective but people are like mm, i don't know about this because you know you've really betrayed my trust in the past yeah so if you could have one question answered by science about the gut something very specific what what do you hope to get an answer to sooner versus later oh my gosh well I don't know if I'd want any like definitive answers because I like all of the questions, but I think, <laughs> um, and that's why you're a scientist. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I, like I like answer. I like answer. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think I would want to know um, the like if if we could have a numerical like magnet the, the actual magnitude of effect of diet and exercise uh, versus everything else, and even some of the supplements. So, like you know, if I had really compelling evidence that taking in you know some specific amount of um, I've been reading a lot about cranberries lately, some specific amount of cranberries, like this is the amount and this is the magnitude of effect it'll have. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool to know. Cause then you could kind of from there, like come up with a cost benefit ratio. Like, oh wow. Okay. So this could affect, you know, 20% of my microbes and only costs like $15 a month. I'm going to do that. I think that would be really exciting. <laughs> that does sound exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I could give you that magic wand to make that happen. <laughs> I so appreciate you being here with us today and talking to us about this really interesting topic that honestly we all hear, we know very little about those of us who are, you know, in the lay public here, but we hear so much about it. So you've really cleared up a whole bunch for us today. I would love to have you back on another time to talk about another topic I see you post about. You posted really recently about the difference between mindful eating and intuitive eating. Yes. I think that is a fascinating subject. I have been guilty in the past of using the words intuitive eating incorrectly, and I I try very hard to now say mindful eating. They're very different things, Mm -hmm. Um, and I would love to to pick your brain on that sometime. I would absolutely come back to talk about that. I would love that. It's one of the areas that I really wish I had more opportunity to speak about, and so that is super exciting. Amazing. Fantastic. All right. Final question. What are you doing in the gym these days? Do you have any performance goals? Um, I have taken a hiatus from powerlifting for a while, but um, what I'm doing right now, I because I've been traveling so much, I've been kind of taking a break from the big three, and I've started to come back to them. And I have to say, I'm super excited about my bench press. I had an absolute volume PR the other day, so just uh, working on putting up some heavy weight. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> so keep us posted on that. A volume PR is amazing. Gosh, I love bench pressing. Oh I think gosh, it's a totally thanks. underrated lift. Yeah. It's my favorite. Absolutely. My favorite. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. Well, thanks again so much for being here. I appreciate your patience with my tech difficulties and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here and listening in to the fitness simplified podcast today. I hope you found it educational, motivational, inspirational, all the kinds of ational. If you enjoyed it, if you found value in it, it would mean so much to me if you would go ahead and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It really does help to get this podcast to other people. Thanks so much.